Good morning, Seven Mile Road. Oh, that was better than a nine o'clock. I think we can do better. Good morning, Seven Mile Road. There we go. The, you guys are my people. The late service people, the people that stayed up too late the night before, or the, the really young parents that have kids to wrestle with. You guys aren't fooling with that nine o'clock. I, I, I totally understand. Look, I'm going to say my wife is like seven and a half months pregnant. Lord have mercy. And she said last night, she was like, babe, I, I think I'm going to church with you tomorrow. I'm like, girl, you're not. You're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. Nine o'clock in the morning. You got two kids. You got, we got an eight and 11. And you're pregnant. I'm like, girl, you're not going anywhere. So when I got ready to leave, I was like, babe, I'm leaving. And she was like, bye. <laughs> See you this afternoon. Um, it's good to be here. Always a pleasure to be here. Your pastor, um, I love him to death. We call him J-Mo. Do you guys call him J-Mo? You call him Jeremiah. We call him J-Mo. And uh, J-Mo, um, he came by the spot last year when I said, I mean, he came to our church. That's, that's our vernacular. He came by the spot last year, preached for me. And um, afterwards, you know, we don't have, I'll just be honest, we don't have a lot of Caucasian people that, that preach at our church. And uh, I said, afterwards, he left, and there were a couple of single ladies, and I was like, hey, what'd you, what'd you guys think? And they're like, man, he's, he's kind of cute. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wait a minute. First of all, did you see the Caucasian lady with the, with the three kids in the front? <laughs> That's his family. And out of all the stuff he said, all you got was, he's kind of cute. Um, so hopefully you're better than our people today, and you get more out of today than they got, you know, <laughs> from J-Mo. <laughs> I don't have a lot of time this morning, so I'm going to jump. I'm going to jump right on in. There's only one place in Houston, Texas, where you can actually go to a shopping mall and also have an ice skating experience, and that place would be known as the what? The Gallup. Man, you guys are way better than nine o'clock. There's only one place in Houston where you can get a a turkey leg stuffed with crawfish mac and cheese, and that would be at the Turkey Lake Hub. Turkey Lake Hub. Man, this is going to be fun. There's only one streaming platform where you can literally take a weekend and binge watch as much content as your heart can desire, or as long as you can stay up uh, through the night, and that streaming platform is called Netflix. Oh my gosh. Netflix, Netflix, not Hulu, not Disney Plus. It's net. It is Netflix. Come on. I thought it was going to be fun. Maybe not so much. Now, look, most companies try to offer us a product, a service, a promotion, something that no one else offers. This is kind of how they distinguish themselves in the market by giving you this. You can only get this here exclusive kind of experience or product or service. And I believe that the church is similar and that there is only one place where you can get one thing. And that thing is going to be revealed as we get into the text today. In the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 12 in particular, when we arrive on the scene of the text, we're going to have the opportunity to rub shoulders with one of the disciples of Jesus. His name is Peter. Everybody say Peter. Peter. 
Peter uh, is a leader in the church at the time of this particular text. But prior to this particular text, we see that Peter um, is a disciple of Jesus. He's walking with Jesus. And then in the book of Acts, when the book of Acts starts, uh, Jesus leaves and Peter and James and John kind of take front and center. They become leaders of the early church. There's all kinds of problems in the early church. Yes, the church is growing. They're hanging out together. They're praying together. They're eating together. But then there's internal conflict going on. There's external pressure from the religious leaders. And then all of a sudden we see in Acts chapter 12 that there is violent opposition from the government against some of the leaders of the church. And so we see in Acts chapter 12, verses 1, they've already, 1 and 2, they've already grabbed James, and they've executed James, and then when they saw that it pleased the people, the Jewish people in particular, they said, let's get Peter, and let's do it again, and then maybe we'll please some more people. And that's where we find ourselves in verse 4, where Peter is arrested, he's put into prison, and watch this, they turn him over, the text says, to four squads of soldiers to guard him intending only after the Passover to bring him before the people. So verse 5 starts off, it says, so Peter was kept in prison. So Peter was kept in prison. I want you to just, just join me in the prison cell with Peter. Let's, let's, let's leave the, the, the comfortable confines of, of this building and just walk with me in my imagination to that cell where Peter is being kept. Peter is literally in a situation where his back is up against the wall. Peter recognizes that as soon as the Passover is over, that his life is also going to be over. Peter realizes that he is in a precarious situation. But it's not just a, a random season in the life of Peter that he's going through this. Remember, uh, just uh, two verses ago, his friend James who he's been doing ministry with, walking with Jesus with, started the church with, been in the trenches with, probably has been to his house, hanging out with his family. He was just executed a few days ago. So now here's Peter, no doubt in a season of grief and turmoil, grieving the loss of his buddy, and then he gets arrested. Doesn't get a chance to say goodbye to his family, doesn't get a chance to, to make the final rounds, doesn't get a chance to call in the pastor to come and pray with him. He's taken to prison and he's not going to get out. Peter is about to die. And as I told the nine o'clock service, and I can't get past this without saying this, you know, Peter had a little bit of thug in him. Peter had a little, he had some thuggish tendencies every now and then. And so you had to think that Peter probably thought at some point, I can fight my way out of this thing. But then as the reality set in, that there's two guards chained to him and two guards at the front door, this is worse than solitary confinement. Peter realizes that this is the end for me. His back is up against the wall in a few hours. His life is over, and there's really no hope of reversing his situation. Now, most of us have never been in prison but most of us, at some point in time, have had our backs against the wall. If you find yourself today, and, and that is not your reality, if you just keep on living at some point in time, life is going to put you in a situation where your back will be up against the wall, where you may not see an opportunity for your situation to get better or for your situation to improve. You may stop believing altogether that things can get better for you. Maybe it's a family situation. 
Maybe it's a health crisis. Maybe it's a financial situation that you just won't see your way out of or haven't been able to see your way out of. Maybe it's your, your mental health. Maybe it's the lack of purpose in your life. And you may not see how you're going to get out of this situation. If you keep living, you're going to have a back up against your wall situation at some point in time, just like Peter is having right here in the text. As the text continues, Peter is inching closer and closer to death. I wonder what that's like to be in a prison having committed a crime or having not committed a crime and knowing that you're going to die in just a few days. So here's Peter, thoughts running through his head. And it appears that Peter has made peace with the situation. Because in verse 6, it says, on the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, meaning we're now just down to a matter of hours, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with chains and guards in the front of the door were watching over the prison. The part I want you all not to miss is that Peter was sleeping. Here's Peter, few hours left to live. He's not fighting it. He's not trying to fight his way out. He's not trying to negotiate with the guards. Here is Peter. He's asleep in the cell. Now, we don't know if he's asleep because he's so discouraged and in such a place of despair that he is just not even hopeful for a situation. I don't even think prayer can work. We don't know if Peter is thinking that. But what we do know is that while Peter is sleeping in the cell, something is stirring right around the corner. While Peter is asleep in the jail cell, something is stirring right around the corner from him. And we see what that stirring is in verse 5 of the text. It says, so while Peter was kept in prison, go back to verse 5. It says, but prayer for him was being made to God intensely by who? By the church. Let me read that again. So Peter was kept in prison, but prayer for him was being made to God intensely by the church. Everybody say intensely. Come on, say it with some intensity. Say intensely. The text right here has just showed you the secret sauce. The text right here has just shown us the one thing that we can get from the church that we can get nowhere else intense prayer for us when our back is up against the wall. Let me, let me make my case. Lawyer, there's a popular lawyer in Houston named Tony Busby. Now, I don't know if you like him or not or whatever. I just, I'm not a Houstonian. I know he's a lawyer, a prominent lawyer. Now, look, Tony Busby could do some good, I imagine. He can do good in the legal arena at some point in time, but Tony Busby could probably not help Peter in this situation. I imagine that you might be saying, well, Peter, at the end of his life, he could probably use a good therapist to kind of help him uh, uh, process what is about to happen to him. But even if Brene Brown, a Houstonian, even if she showed up on the scene, she couldn't do anything for Peter in this situation. And maybe you're in a situation as well where your back is up against the wall, and maybe you need the best doctor that Houston has, and maybe, and he's dead now, but maybe Dr. Red Duke, if he were still here, could help you in your situation. But even Red Duke couldn't do anything for Peter in this situation. 
And so if you think that having a great lawyer and a great doctor and a great therapist is going to help you in every situation in life, you're fooling yourself. But if you have a church family that is intensely praying for you, you have, in my opinion, what is more important than all three of those combined. And that's what Peter has in this particular situation. The church is praying for him, and they're praying. The Bible says that, the, 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 that they're praying intensely. They're, they're, they're eagerly praying for Peter. They're, they're praying with a level of desire, a desire to see God move in a miraculous way. It's going to take a miracle at this point. They're praying for God to move in a miraculous way. They're, they're all together on one accord. They're, they're dedicated to the task at hand. They're determined to see what can God do if we will pray and pray in faith. What can God do for our brother. We see the same word, the same intensity in Luke chapter 22, verse, 30, or verse 44, when Jesus is in the garden and he's praying intensely and the disciples are sleeping, but Jesus is praying. And we see this just before his death. We see this intensity in prayer. Everybody say intensity. This is why you need to be a part of a house church. Yes, you need to be a part of a house church. Raise your hand if you're a part of a house church. Raise it high. Okay, okay. Um, I did not see everyone raise their hand, which tells me that some of you guys are not in a house church. And if you're not in a house church, you're missing out on one of the exclusive things that the church can offer you. See, we all need people that are, can pray for us. And everybody that says they're going to pray for us doesn't pray for us. And you've actually said this to other people. Hey, I'm praying for you. And do you always pray for them? Okay, here's how you, here, here's how you know if someone's going to pray for you or not. Um, this is, I, I do this on social media from time to time. The first service really thought this was funny. Um, every now and again, um, I'm not a huge social media guy. Uh, but when I get on there, I'm usually, I'm a scroller. I don't post much. I just, I just kind of scroll. And I just share the service, our live stream service. I, all I do is share that. If there's a birthday in my family, I put that. But usually it's just people tagging me and stuff. That's the only thing you're going to see on my Facebook account. But I, I just scroll. But every now and again, I will post something. Just, it is kind of really a test to see who's really praying for me. Okay. If you post something on Facebook, and I'll, I'll give you the test. Here's how you know people are really praying for you. If you post something on social media that you really need prayer for, and people write in the comment, like they write, hey, I'm, I'm praying for you, brother. I'm so sorry to hear that, yada, yada, yada. And they, you know, give you a, a decent-sized response in the comments. They're probably praying for you. They may even be praying for you in the moment as they're typing. Or they'll hit you with a text message. Yo, bro, man, sorry to hear that. Saw your post on Facebook. Praying for you. I got you. Let's grab some coffee next week or, you know, whatever. I, I, I'm with you. Those people are praying for you. But let me, let me tell you how you know people are not praying for you. If they hit you with the prayer hand emoji. <laughs> y'all know what I'm talking about? The, the, little, the little, little emoji like this? If you get hit with the prayer hand emoji, you know they're not praying for you. <laughs> they just like, you know, hey. I'm, I mean, basically, look, and, and the reason why I know this is because I do it. When I'm scrolling through and I see something, I'm like, okay, that's cool, but I really am not really praying for you. Let me just hit you with the prayer hand emoji because I'm a pastor. I got to hit you with the, with the prayer hand emoji. But I'm really not praying for you. If, it, if it's serious, I'm going to call you. I'm going to text you. If you get hit with the prayer hands, 
you already know this person is not praying for me. And that is why you, my brother and my sister, you need to be a part of a house church because your house church is not going to hit you with the prayer hand emoji. Your house church is going to actually pray for you. Isn't that right? For those who are in house churches? Amen, right? For, yeah? Okay. All right. You're trying, trying, you're trying to use you to, to, to prove my point here. But I love this about this particular text. If you watch the text, you'll see, and we said this a couple times already, that Peter was asleep. Here's Peter. Peter's in prison. Peter's about to die. And Peter's not even praying for himself. Peter is asleep. And, and, and maybe it's because he is so distraught and he is so hopeless and there is no way out. That he's like, what is the point in praying? I just, I just can't do it. And unfortunately, there's a, a few people at our church that are going through some really, really difficult times. Um, one, a really tragic situation happened to them about two months ago. And another one's just going through uh, a really tough time. And I'm kind of walking with them uh, a little bit. And, and both of them told me at separate times, they said, Pastor, I just, I just don't know how to pray right now. I, I don't have the, the, the desire to pray. I, I don't know what to pray. Um, I just, I, I'm just lost when it comes to this idea of prayer. I cannot pray for myself. And I say, guys, it is okay because you are connected to a church family that is praying for you. And we're going to pray intensely on your behalf that God would see you through the present darkness that you're going through. And that's what you and I need more than we need another promotion, more than we need a, a bigger paycheck, more than we need a great therapist. We need people who are praying for us on our behalf. The Bible tells us in Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews tells us in, in uh, Hebrews 4, chapter 16, um, he says that, that we can come boldly before the throne of grace, boldly before the throne of grace. And every time we do, we will find grace and mercy in our time of need. But what qualifies us to come boldly before God? I'm a sinner. I'm, I mean, I'm me. I mean, y'all know me. I'm a clown. I mean, I'm, I'm messed up. What qualifies me to be able to come boldly before the throne of grace and ask God for anything? Well, it's because I am a believer. I'm, I'm blood washed and I'm blood bought and that qualifies me to come boldly before the throne of grace. That's what allows me to have a great high priest in the person of Jesus Christ that I can call my brother. It's because I'm a believer. And so what you need and what I need are people who, are, who understand their right and their privilege as blood-washed and blood-bought followers of the Most High God that we will exercise and understand our right to come boldly before the throne of God in prayer. And so what we see here, what we stumbled into, is this age-old question that the old theologians and scholars have been debating for centuries and what that question is, is does God listen to the prayers of non-believers? Or does he only listen to prayers from believers? Now, if, if you've never wrestled with that question, you never thought about it, well, I'm just letting you know that there is a debate that's been raging for centuries. And, and you guys are in luck today because I have an answer for you today. And the answer to that question is, I have no idea. 
I don't know. I, I, who am I? I don't know if God answers the prayer. God can answer whoever, 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 whomever's prayer he wants to answer. I have no idea. He may answer the sinner's prayer. He, he, he answered the prayers of the Ninevites when they cried out to him in the book of Jonah. He, he, if you go through the Old Testament, he answers the prayer of, of King Ahab, who was a wicked king. He answers the prayers of, of all kinds of people. I don't know what it takes to, I mean, if it's prayed according to the will of God, I, I believe God will answer that prayer. I just don't know the answer to that. But here's what I do know. I do know that beyond the shadow of a doubt, that God hears and responds to the prayers of his people. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, blood-washed, blood-bought, you can be assured that God will hear and respond to your prayers. How do we know this? Well, John chapter 9, verse 31 says, we know that God does not listen to sinners, but if someone is God-fearing and does his will, he listens to him. John 15, chapter 7, uh, uh, chapter 15, verse 7, Jesus says this. He says, if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. We know beyond the shadow of a doubt that God hears and responds to the prayers of believers. So here's the question. Why play Russian roulette with your life? Why leave it up to chance? Why, why leave it up to your well-intentioned but, but unsaved co-workers, neighbors, um, ex-girlfriends and boyfriends, frat brothers, sorority sisters from college. Why play Russian roulette and leave it up to chance that the unsaved, though they're well-intentioned, are actually going to pray intensely for you when your back is up against the wall. Why not trust a sure thing that your church family, your, your, your house church, the people that you're connected to, that, that know you and you know them, and, and you all, when people are struggling and hurting, um, that we are going to pray for one another. Why not trust in a sure thing that the scriptures offer us? And so the church, the text tells us, the church was intensely praying for Peter. And the church, through their prayers, were able to literally pull Peter back from the doorstep of death. Are you guys watching the text? The prayers of the church were able to be used to pull Peter, who was on the doorstep of death, they were able to pull Peter off of the doorstep because they prayed intensely and God responded. Verse 7 starts off, and behold, okay, and I'm going to make you, I'm going to ask you to do something I ask our folks to do every time, every time, every time we see the phrase behold, we say it out loud together, okay? So, so everybody say, and behold. And behold. You guys are good. You guys are good. Okay, I'm going to ask you to say it a little more dramatic because I think that's kind of what the text says. So we're going to say, and behold. There you go. There you go. And so now, that, you know, because this gets our attention, and behold, it's supposed to get your attention because something is about to happen that you may not be expecting to happen. And here is what we are beholding. An angel of the Lord. I'm going to read this fast because I believe all of this kind of happened fast. Okay. Just rock with me. An angel of the Lord suddenly stood near Peter. I'm going to add a little color to it too because it's a little later. We got a little time. Peter, Peter. Peter, wake up, wake up, wake up. Huh, what? 
and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter, sighed and woke him up. Get up quickly. And his chains fell off his hands. So now he's free. I mean, he's, his hands are free. And the angel said to him, put on your belt and a strap on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. So Peter got sleep in his eyes trying to figure out what's going on. Is it time to go to the executioner? Is it, is it, is it time already? I thought I was at least going to you know, get a good night's sleep. What, what's going on here? And he, he goes out and um, he went out and he continued to follow and yet did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Did y'all catch that? Peter didn't even believe what was happening to him was real. Because remember, he's, there's no way out for him. There's no, there's no lawyer, there's no, there's no judge, there's nobody who can get Peter out of the situation. And so now that he's being freed, it doesn't even seem real to him. It's like a dream or a vision. Let's keep rolling. Now when they had first passed, the first and second guard, they came to the iron gate that leads into the city, which opened by itself. Another miracle. The gate just opens by itself. And they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel departed from him. And so now Peter's alone in the street, in the darkness, a fugitive, kind of, sort of, but just by himself, I guess trying to process the miracle that has just taken place in his life. It says in verse 11, when Peter came to himself, he said, now I know for sure that the Lord has sent forth his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. And when he realized this, imagine now he's like, okay, I got to get out of the middle of the street. I'm in public. I got I to gotta go somewhere to hide. Watch this. Watch where he goes. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were playing video games. Is that what it says? No, he, he says, it says, and when he realized this, he went to the house of Mary where many were gathered together and were praying. Everybody say praying. praying. First stop Peter makes is to his house church group. See, if you don't have a house church group, if this happens to you, you don't have anywhere to go. But if you have a house church, then you go to your house church. Now, why they were meeting so late at night, I don't know why the house church was meeting this late at night. Maybe they were having a house church sleepover. I don't, I don't know. I don't recommend that. I don't recommend that. I'm just, this is kind of, I'm just telling you what the text says. Don't be mad at me. So the house church is praying for Peter. Now, I don't want to suggest that every time people get together to pray, that something miraculous is going to happen. Yes, I did boldly declare that we can count on God as believers to hear and respond to our prayers. What I am not guaranteeing is that there's going to be a miracle like this every time people get together to pray. If that were the case, I imagine the church who was praying for James back in Acts chapter 12, verse 2, I imagine that James would have got out of prison as well. But James, we see, a part of the same uh, church in Jerusalem, he died. Imagine the same church was praying for a leader. He didn't get out. But Peter does. So what am I saying? What are we, what are we to understand about this, this situation of praying for one another? Well, what I want you to walk away with is this, that when we intensely pray for one another as the church, prayer puts all possibilities back on the table. 
Prayer puts all possibilities back on the table. At this point in the text, I imagine that Peter has taken freedom off the table. That's just not a possibility for me. I imagine he's taken off the table that I'm going to see my family again. That's not a possibility. There's no hope for that. Let's just take that off the table. It just, it wasn't even real to him when he got out of the prison because he had already taken those possibilities off of the table. And I imagine there are times in our life or will be times in our life where we get so discouraged and we're in such despair that we begin to take possibilities off of the table that God has one, at one time had put onto the table. I remember when we started our church, you know, ever you start a church, you have these great grand dreams and visions. You're like, man, we're going to save all of you. Like everybody in Houston is going to get saved. Like we're going we're gonna to stop teenage pregnancy in our whole zip code. Like, everybody's going to graduate from high school with honors, and everybody's going to Baylor or A&M or UT. I mean, I don't know, whatever the preferred schools are, but I don't know. Everybody's going to do well because we're here. And then you get into, like, church planting, and you start starting a church, and you start trying to disciple people, and you see the brokenness of people and the, the evil that exists in the world. And you're like, whoa, this is a little bit harder than I thought, and, and maybe we're just not going to reach all these people. Maybe, the, maybe the, the visions and the dreams that God has given us, maybe those really aren't going to come to fruition. Let's just, let's just take that off the table and let's just be comfortable with the stuff we got going on here. Maybe, maybe we want to make an impact with teens, but, but teens are just so rowdy and there's, there's just so much temptation out there nowadays with TikTok and, and, and all the stuff that's out there. We, we just can't compete with it. Let's just take that off the table. And what we're going to see in prayer or what we see in the story and their prayer is that when we pray intensely as the church, God puts all possibilities back on the table. One of the, the downsides of COVID, well, COVID has been horrible. Let me, just, let me just say that very seriously. COVID has, has been a dark thing, a bad thing. Many of us have lost people in COVID. But one of the more lighthearted things that COVID has, has done for us or, or denied us of is um, full restaurant menus. Let me, let me explain. I'm a BB's, I think it's called BB's Cajun Kitchen. Anybody ever been there in the Heights? Okay. I'm, I don't go to the one in the Heights. There's one in Cyprus out by my house. So I go to that one. And, and, and BB's has kind of been my go-to for a few years um, because they have this dish that I haven't found anywhere else in, in Houston. It is the bacon-wrapped stuffed shrimp. How does that sound? My man up here nodding his head, right? Bacon-wrapped stuffed shrimp, right? You got, you got, you got, you got fresh Gulf shrimp you know, and, and, and meaty, I mean juicy, not popcorn shrimp, like a, a good-sized shrimp. It's, it, it's, it's packed with this crab stuffing, packed, right? Then it, it is, it's breaded, and, and then they wrap that bacon around it, right? I said bacon wrapped stuffed shrimp. Ba wrap that bacon and then you deep fry it. Y'all seen that show on Netflix, that, that, that show about frying, crispy thing, where they just drop the stuff in the grease and you just see it. And they come out with about five or six of those boys on the plate. And that's just my happy place. That's, that's, that's my happy place. But look, look, let me, let me just say this. Let me say this. Let me say it. I didn't give you, I didn't say this at nine o'clock. Look, I had almost given up on BBs before COVID. I'd almost given up because I went and they, they made the bacon wrap stuffed shrimp and I cut into it and started eating and it was still like raw. Ugh. So I, I I'd almost given up on them, right? But they came back and they comped my meal and they redid it. And so I was like, all right, we're cool. I can still rock with you. But COVID, COVID happened 
And um, you know, we were doing curbside. Everybody's doing curbside. So I said, okay, okay, cool. Let's 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 go to BB's. That you know, some bacon wrap stuffed shrimp will make me feel better about life and everything. And so I, I go to the menu and I didn't see it on the online menu. Surely there's a mistake. So I called. I'd call them and say, hey, um, I want to order the bacon wrap stuffed shrimp. And I'm going to like, uh, sir, sir, sir. We don't we don't have that anymore. Like what? What happened to it? Y'all still got shrimp. You still got crab. You, there's still bacon out there. What, I mean, what, what's the, what, what, you can't just put them together and wrap it and fry it. I mean, what, what's the deal? And they said, you know, sir, we don't have it because of COVID. It's, 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 we've, we've restricted our menu. And further, it may never come back. Really? Oh, it, it may never come back? And I may never come back either. Because if you don't have that, I mean, what, I, mean I could go to Papado. I mean, what, what's the deal? And what I saw with that, was that I want a menu with all of the options available to me. Don't, don't give me the COVID-restricted menu. I want the whole menu. And this is also what happens when the church is praying for us. The church allows us to have the whole menu of what God would have for us. When we don't have a church family praying for us, we are living off of the restricted menu of what God has for us. And so when you have a church that's praying for you, when the doctor tells you that you have a sickness that is incurable, you have possibility on the table because you have a church family that's praying for you. When your marriage counselor tells you, here's a good divorce lawyer because there's no coming back from this situation, the possibility of reconciliation is back on the table when you have a church family that is praying for you. If you're dealing with addiction or lust or some other thing that has a, a hold on you, you can find deliverance because the church is praying for you and it puts that possibility back on the table. Amen. They feel like I'm back at shine now. Got an amen. A praying church puts all possibilities back on the table. And notice, it's late at night, but notice what the church is doing. They're not watching Netflix. They're not surfing the web. They're not on their phones. They're not sleeping, but they're up and they're praying for their brother. If you don't believe me, all you got to do is turn to the text, and that's what it says. Peter gets to the front gate of the door, a slave woman named Rhoda came to answer. She recognized Peter's voice, and because of her joy, she did not open the gate. She's so excited that it's Peter that she doesn't even let him in. Now, you can imagine if you're Peter, your heart's already probably racing because you're running, you're nervous. What if they catch me again? You're trying to process what's happened, and then they don't open the door. You're like, oh my, you're like, oh my. this miracle that God just did, I, they, they might just undo the miracle if they don't hurry up and open the door. Like, Y'all open the door. Verse 14, when she recognized Peter's voice, she didn't open the door, but she ran in and announced that Peter was standing in front of the gate. And they said to her, you are out of your mind. The house church. They said, girl, you don't know what you're talking about. You're sleepy. Go lay down. But she kept insisting it was so. And they said, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. Y'all open the door. And when they opened the door, they saw him and watched this. The text says, and they were amazed or they were astonished. But motioning to them, he, to them with his hand to be silent, shh, be quiet. He described to him what the Lord had did to let him out of, lead him out of prison. And he said, go tell these things to James and the brothers. Then he left and he went to another place. I want you to see this in the text and then I'm done. The church couldn't believe how effective their prayers had been. 
Did y'all catch that in the text? They had been praying. The Bible tells us earlier on in the, in the chapter, it says that they were praying for Peter. They're praying for Peter, and then Peter shows up, and they are amazed at what God has done through their prayers. At verse 16, that's where we see that word amazed. That's the same reaction that people had to the miracles of Jesus. They were amazed, and they were astonished at his miracles, at his teaching. There is no one that we have ever seen do these kinds of things, and they were astonished. And here's my question, my last question for you. Before my challenge, is when was the last time you prayed so intently for your brothers and sisters in Christ? Or you prayed so intently for even that coworker that's not saved? Or when was the last time you prayed intensely for that friend of yours who's estranged from their children? When was the last time you prayed so intently and for such a miracle of God-sized proportion that when it happened, or if it happens, you would be astonished or utterly amazed. I'm not mad at the church for being astonished or amazed. Some people say, well, well, where's your faith? If you're praying this, don't you think God would answer? Guys, look, they are praying for something that seems to be utterly impossible. I'm impressed that they even opened the door. Because I'd be like, no, that really is a ghost or an angel. Like, we're not going to fool with that. That cannot be Peter, even though we've been praying for it. But my question is, when have we prayed so big and so intently and with so much faith that we could actually see a miracle of God? Here's my prayer and my hope for you in 2021. It's the same thing I've challenged our church with. Is that I don't want us to just pray that God would continue to give us a house and a car and a job. And like, that's great. Yes, we're going to pray for those things. But I want us to begin to intently pray for God to do things that we can't see or make possible in our own strength. That there's loved ones that we know who are addicts, alcoholics, um, drug addicts, people who want nothing to do with the Lord. There are people in our community, in our neighborhood, that don't even want to hear the message of salvation. I want us to intently pray for them that God would do a miracle in their life. Bring them to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Bring healing in a way that we see done in the text. That's the kind of prayers I want us to pray. These are the kind of prayers I want to challenge you to pray as well. In your life group, your life group is counting on you. No, I'm sorry, not life group. That's, we have life groups. I'm sorry. Your house church is counting on you. You're counting on your house church. That when you're vulnerable enough to say, hey, this is what's going on in my life. Will you pray for me? They don't hit you with the prayer hands, but they hit you with some prayer. And we see God do what only God does for the church that he may randomly do for other people. We have a sure thing, my brothers and sisters. Here's my challenge. If you're in a house church, I know you guys are on rest or on break from house church, but when house church kicks back up, I want you to be courageously vulnerable. I want you to tell your house church what's really going on with you and where you really need a breakthrough from God in your life. I want you to share it with your house church. And I want you, as the house church, I want you to pray intensely. 
Just like the church prayed intensely for Peter, for whatever it is, whatever the struggles are in the group, I want us to be praying intensely for one another and be astonished prayerfully at what God can do through our prayers. Ian Bounds said this, and I'm done. What the church needs today is not more machinery or better, not new organizations or more novel methods But what the church needs are men and women, I'm adding that part, whom the Holy Ghost can use. People of prayer, people mighty in prayer. Let's pray. Gracious and merciful God, our Father. God, we thank you for the privilege that you have given us. And that privilege is to be able to come to you in prayer and know that our Heavenly Father hears and responds And God, we know that you don't always respond how uh, we want you to or when we want you to. But God, we know that you hear and you respond. And that's a privilege that we are so grateful for today, God. And we're grateful for the local church and the church family that, that we have here at Seven Mile Road. That we can be assured that has people that are praying for us at all times, even when our back is against the wall. We're so grateful for that gift of your grace through the local church today. So God, if there's anyone here today and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, the Holy Spirit is is prompting you to respond to the saving message of Jesus Christ, this message that reminds us that we can have reconciliation with God through a relationship with him. And as the Spirit prompts us, if there's anyone here that has never responded to that prompting, never trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, I pray today in the name of Jesus that that man, that woman, that boy, that girl would carefully consider the offer that you have on the table, an offer of eternal life, an offer of eternal hope. I pray that as we ponder this offer and by the Spirit's prompting that we would say yes to Jesus. Father, we thank you for this time in your word. The grass may wither, the flower may fade. Heaven and earth will one day pass away, but your word, God, will stand forever. And God, we're so grateful for that today. Thank you for this gift. In Jesus' name, amen.